welcome to the Leadership Connection. This is Doug Clark. Once again, today I have uh, an old colleague. Yeah, I shouldn't call him old. He's much younger than I am. Uh, <laughs> David Howard. I met David many years ago, probably 20 years back. Uh, he was probably fresh out of the Air Force at that time and working for Allied Reliability. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was probably 20 years ago, and I had worked for GE before that for about five years before I uh, was recruited by Allied. Yep. All right. So I think we might have met first time at a conference, and then um, you know through the years of always, if there's a conference and we're there together, we we certainly find a time to have a uh, a beverage and, and a chat and some laughs for sure. Uh, Absolutely. So. Many years down the road, then David has started his own business, and uh, you know, obviously, that takes some leadership skills there to to have the guts to venture out and say, "I'm going to try something here on my own." And so, we'll talk about a bit about that today. A little bit of nothing wrong with a little bit of free advertising. And uh, <laughs> aside from that, we'll also talk about leadership and, and what that means to Mike, and then some of the ways that. Uh, and other leaders that he's worked with in his career. So starting out, uh, can you tell me uh, a bit about your background? Uh, what your sure. education might be? I know you did some time in the Air Force and different places you've worked and the roles that you've worked in. Yeah, so um, I started my career in the Air Force fresh out of school. I graduated when I was 16 and my parents signed the papers to get me out of the house when I was 17, and <laughs> I, uh, I joined the Air Force, and uh, I was very fortunate. I, I tested um, on, you know, the military, it's called the ASVAB, and when I tested, I, I just went in open mechanical, and I've always been very mechanically inclined. I loved mechanical engineering and STEM and those types of things before they were actually called STEM. Um, and uh, yeah, so I joined the Air Force Open Mechanical and I was very fortunate when I graduated basic training, they said, you're gonna go be a crew chief. And I said, well, what the heck is that? And um, they said, well, you're gonna be a, a crew chief on the F-4 Phantoms. And I said, wow, that's, that's pretty cool because I used to watch the F-4s land and take off up at Plattsburgh with the F-111s um, when they'd come in and do exercises. So it was, it was really cool. Um, so I started off as a crew chief and a flight controls engines specialist, and then after the military, worked in reliability engineering and vibration analysis for GE as a facilities and turbine engineer, and then went to Kerr-McGee Oil and Gas as a maintenance and reliability manager, and then Hansen as a plant manager, and then at that point got recruited by Allied um, for a reliability program manager for their mosaic accounts down in Florida and then uh, eventually crossed into the vibration analyzer business when I uh, joined Comtest Instruments as the director of customer service and support. Um, that was now probably 15 years ago or so. I'm not sure I lose track of time the older I get. Then, uh, I, you know, I, I started in the reliability field when we were towing data collectors behind a vehicle on the flight line. Um, you know, the IRD testers that we use to do engine uh, test runs on, on the A-10s, we towed them on a bobtail or towed them behind a bobtail on the flight line. So, 
you know, it's crazy to me to see how much it's changed over the years. So um, while I was at GE, I was basically told, hey, you know, if you want to get anywhere in your career, you're going to have to get a college education. So I took my GI Bill, worked full time. At the time, I was a single parent raising my now 24-year-old daughter, 25-year-old daughter, um, and uh, finished my uh, associate's degree in electromechanical engineering technology, and then my bachelor's and master's in management and leadership and business. Um, and then I just recently finished my doctorate at New Charter for uh, an engineering management degree. I just figured if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do it, I might as well just do it and keep going. Wow, look at you! I did was not familiar uh, with the doctorate. I knew you had done all the other things, and that's uh, having gone through uh, the reliability engineering thing at night myself. I know how much time that takes. I had three kids, and it was just seemed like. Uh, my time at home was very limited, um, and of course, one of those things as kids are growing up, you go, "Hey, uh, here's Dad." But yes, uh, you know, speaking you of kids, my 25-year-old just walked in <laughs> <laughs> for, for coaching little league and uh, and stuff like that. So uh, it, it certainly makes for uh, that time rewarding for sure. When you when you finish, you go, "Oh my goodness." Uh, and I think I probably told you in the past, my older brother was a, was a crew chief. He was a SR-71 guy in the Air Force. Also oh, that's very, crazy. A uh, very talented uh, mechanical guy. Uh, in fact, my son uh, has done some traveling and working with him, and uh, it's always grateful to say, holy smokes, Uncle John, every time I work with him, I learn so much. All right, so. So uh, the viewers can't see it, Doug, but you can see it. That's actually a, a flag that was flown in an SR. I'm no kidding. Yeah, yeah, my old unit sent me this uh, years ago because I crewed, I didn't crew SRs, but um, after the retired the SRs, I moved into the U2 program, and uh, they're a very tight-knit community, so I was a U2 crew chief for a while as well. Very good, very good. So uh, when do you think you were first recognized as a leader? What were you working on and uh, you know, what brought about that recognition? Well, I think, I don't know. I mean, it, it's kind of weird. You know, everybody says, well, how did you get into, you know, running your own company or, you know, being a leader? When, you, when I saw this question, I thought to myself, well, I mean, as far back as I can remember, I've always just been picked, you know, whether it was team captain playing sports or, or uh, you know, uh, the, some project at school. It, it just seemed like that that was uh, something that I just naturally gravitated toward. But I guess, um, you know, professionally, it was when I was in Al Jabber, Kuwait, many, many years ago, probably 25 years ago or so. Um, we were working uh, A-10s um, over in Al Jabber, and we uh, were doing an inspection. And I found a, one of the critical flight control cables for the uh, decelerons had been damaged during this critical inspection. And when that happened, I was a junior NCO and my senior maintenance officer, Colonel Osborne, and squadron commander, uh, uh, Colonel Frith, uh, they put me in charge of one of the more critical uh, combat operation processes. They were called ICTs. And that's when I kind of realized, wow, I really enjoy this. Um, ICTs are integrated combat turnarounds, so there's no room for error. The jet lands from a mission, and then you have to refuel, rearm, inspect, and change out the pilot with the aircraft running. 
Um, you do all of this while the aircraft running. Kind of like a pit stop at NASCAR then. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that, except for it's um, it's it's with live munitions, and uh, you know, you see the A-10 take off with uh, every ele- all eleven pylons loaded up with munitions. It comes back empty because it just got done tearing up somebody and making somebody have a really bad day, and uh, and you just send it back up with a fresh pilot, and off you go. So that's probably when that happened. Interesting story. So since we're on the subject. Uh and you're talking about being recognized young, you know, for the, the team captain stuff. Do you think leadership is a natural skill or is it a learned skill? You know, that's probably one of those questions. Um, I, I really thought about this. I think it's a trait that people have naturally, but I think it's also important to note that leadership is like a continuous improvement process. You don't just stop um, and say, this is as good as it gets. You have to const- constantly learn and constantly improve. And I believe that that kind of approach is what just makes you a better leader every time you have an opportunity to lead someone or lead a team. So, you know, is the skill or trait a, a natural trait? I think it is, but I think it also is a trait that is something that is continuously developed. Right. So, yeah, when I think about that question, you know, and I, I will admit, I, I put it in there just to, uh, uh, kind of for this type of conversation to say, you know, it really is, you see a lot of that natural piece, but if you don't continue to improve, right, and, and I always talk about uh, Aubrey Daniels as, as my experience of that, it, it, the aha moment of, wow, there's a lot of things in terms of my leadership skills that I'm not doing that aren't quite right, right, and when you learn to refine those things and become a better leader, all, all of a sudden that light comes on and you say, hmm, that might be why my relationship with this person five years ago wasn't what I thought it should have been. Right? Yeah, but absolutely. Mistakes I made, right? So um, moving into, uh, I know I've asked you this before, we've had several conversations about books because I know you're a voracious reader like I am. Is there a book or a course out there that you took in your career that made a difference? And, and tell us what it is and what maybe you learned from that. I think there's there's like three books that I consider. Like I've reread these three books probably a dozen times each because I just I, I firmly believe in what the books say. So like the first book is Straight from the Gut from Jack Welch. And, and I think that Candor and honesty and direct communication is something that is just absolutely critical. And and people may not always appreciate um, your your opinion or your directness or your candor, but they'll appreciate the honesty of it. So so that that book just spoke to me years ago. And I read that book, uh, gosh, I was probably working at GE when he wrote the book. Um, so, you know, that was the first book. And then the second book is kind of a Bible for us, um, at our best instruments and Vibrolaser, And, and it's called, uh, raving fans by Ken Blanchard. And it talks about, uh, you know, how to, how to create and keep raving fans for life. And, and, and really just talks about how important it is to have an incredible um, customer experience and making sure that, you know, you may not have the best product or you may not have the best, uh, the best position in the market, but if you give your customer the, the best experience possible, they'll always remember that. And that's the kind of thing that creates word of mouth, you know, uh, 
word of mouth advertising and you know just referrals so i i've always strongly believed that that approach is something that uh that we should you know implement and roll out in in every organization that i've led or every team that i've led whether it's an internal customer or an external customer it really doesn't matter and then um the last one is one that uh John Cochran at uh, Comtest, actually, he was one of my mentors over the years, and uh, he 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 kind of um, said, you know, at the time everybody called me Howie. He said, "Hey, Howie, you should really look at this Blue Ocean Strategy book." And so I read the book, and I said, "Wow, this is great!" You know, it um, it talks about the opening new markets through pursuit of differentiation and low cost. So. It's it's not always about, um, especially in our industry, you know, the, the the vibration analyzers that we grew up using many many years ago, you know, those things were, you know, expensive to produce and expensive to use and expensive to purchase and and technology's changed. So with technology changing, those those leaps in technology make the cost of technology lower. So it's just a natural progression. So I guess those three books are really the the three that speak to me the most is, you know, being candid and honest, um, giving exceptional customer service in everything you do, whether it's an internal customer or an external customer, and always focusing on creating innovation through uh, through through lower cost and uh, product differentiation and service differentiation. Yeah, you know, you, you talk about that, the customer service piece and, and always being there. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, uh, I have a, a, a number of competitors in the business that I do, of course, uh, you know, RCM. And uh, when I first started in this business, boy, there was there was one fellow that was out there. He, he, you know, in his eyes, nobody else could do RCM the right way. And then <clears throat> down the road, you know, the rest of us would sit aside and chat and share and, and actually help each other improve their product, right? Right. And in reality, in the end, it was one of those things that now those that, that few of us are the ones that are really out there in the market that customers are talking about, right? And yeah. that sharing and that learning, right, that, that comes from reading things like that and, and putting it to use, you all of a sudden go, oh, this, this applies to a lot more than I ever expected it to, right? Oh, for sure. Along that line, you, you did mention one person in there. Are there a, a couple people that you consider mentors for your career? And, uh, you know, you can feel free to mention them by name and some of the things you, you learned uh, or experienced in, in working with them through the years. You know, I think there's a lot of great leaders. I've been really fortunate. I've, I've worked for some really great people throughout my career and, you know, I think one of the most influential was, um, I'll, I'll name him because I'm proud of it. You know, his name's uh, Joe Congolosi. He's Chief Joe, Congo Joe, we called him. Um, he was our chief of maintenance at the 5th Reconnaissance Squadron. And, you know, he taught me that, you know, leadership isn't about what you do, but more how you do it. And, and I think that that's a really important thing because, you know, you can be a leader by, by definition simply by, uh, you know, being put in that position and forced to lead, so to speak, where in fact you might actually be managing more than you're leading. And I think leading is in more in how you do it, how you carry out and how you inspire and, and, and uh, get, you know, motivate people. 
the other one was, um, you know, John Cochran, I, I mentioned him earlier. He was my mentor in, at, at Comtest and, and John taught me how valuable and important it is for an organization to continuously aspire, for leaders to inspire people and to provide the very best customer service possible. Even when your product or service isn't great, you have to remember that the relationship with your customer or the relationship with the people you're leading is the most important element in the equation. If you do all of those things right, if you if you give your customer the best experience possible and you you listen and you're uh, uh, a servant leader, so to speak, uh, the rest just falls into place. All right, so at this point in your career, you're running your own business, so you must have gone out and looked for some people and said, all right, who's gonna help me? Who are gonna be the people that work in this company? So when it comes to hiring people and you're looking for leadership skills, what are some of the traits you look for in those leaders? Candor. I like I absolutely believe in candor because I as I said, I'm just a very direct person. So if somebody can't accept uh, direct communication, whether it's wanted or unwanted, it can sometimes be a, a difficult personality to deal with. So, you know, I look for candor in people. Um, I look for uh, passion. Uh, passion is probably one of the most important things because you can't teach passion. Um, passion for what you do and loving your job and 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 having the the uh, the internal fire in the belly, if you call it that, to uh, to to do a good job is something that can't be taught. You 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 have to love it. And so I look for those two things. And really, if if I can find somebody who's passionate about what they do and they're candid and honest, I can teach them the rest. Interesting. Or the, or the rest of our team can teach them the rest because yeah, God I knows don't, I don't know everything. Exactly. And I don't know if you remember, uh, I know that you at least viewed at the, the document that I wrote about selecting RCM facilitators and even team members. Right. Those two items are, are both on there. Boy, you got to be open and honest. You got to be passionate about your work. Yep. And I'm looking for operators and I'm looking for maintenance to participate in this. I don't want people that are going to tell me everything. Well, everything's fine. Yeah. Right? Or yep. even the, the machine's a piece of crap and, and it always has been. Right. Well, I think the other thing is like it, it's not just ca candid and and candor and passion. Like my granddad, and I'll, I'll use this as another example. My granddad used to say that God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, so you listen twice as much as you talk. And I think, I think that leaders and and when you when you're hiring somebody, you're not just hiring them for the position they're in. You're hiring them for for growth. Like where do you see that person in five years? I'm not looking to hire somebody for a position based on the job opening that's open today. I'm looking at that person and saying, where can they fit in the organization in five years? All right. And it's, uh, I love the advice from, uh, from grandpa. I mean, that I've, I've interviewed a bunch of people about this right now. And I'd say that that's one of those classic statements that I know I'll be using down the road. Right? <laughs> you got two ears and one mouth, right? For a reason. You should be listening twice as much as talking. Yeah. That is fantastic. Uh, so looking at and we've talked a bit about leadership and, and management. Some people have said in the past that you can either be a leader or a manager. What do you think about that statement? I think it's absolutely accurate. I think it's without question accurate. I mean, I admittedly 
uh, gravitate toward leadership. I love inspiring people. I love working with people and trying to inspire them to achieve things that they never thought they themselves could achieve. Um, that's fun to me. That's like to see the aha moment, to see the look on their face when they go, click, I got it. Oh my gosh, I never thought I would be able to do that or I never thought I'd be able to accomplish this. That's my favorite thing. Whereas like, um, God bless her, my wife, I'm not a very good manager. I'm probably the most scatterbrained person when it comes to organization of anyone. But they, they call me, literally in the office, they call me the absent-minded professor. And, and it's absolutely correct because if it wasn't for Teresa, who is our office manager, and my wife, who is our chief marketing officer, I wouldn't remember half the things that I need to remember. It, regardless of it being on a contact or, you know, in an email or on my uh, task list or on a whiteboard or in my calendar, I'm just, I'm not as organized as I would like to be. So I think that leaders are inspirational or they should be, you know, whereas managers are more task oriented. They're like, it's organizational. My wife is an exceptional manager. She's a great manager. She can, she, I mean, she's got whiteboards and pie charts and like stuff that, blows me away i me it doesn't even it's not even in my dna yeah so david i gotta tell you you know i think you and i are are pretty similar in that way and i've been doing my own business here for for over 20 years now and i've gotten to the point where i actually had to force myself to read a couple of those books on management because it's it's one of those things that i can relate oh my gosh i just missed that call with a customer or you know a podcast or whatever I, and I actually learned to go, especially in this day and age, we have so many other ways that we can help us manage, right? I have reminders in my phone. 7.50 each morning, my phone buzzes and says, check your calendar. Yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock, it buzzes and says, take care of bookwork, right? Yeah. So I've got to take care of any of that. Right? Do I have billing to do? Do I have quotes I've got to put out, I have to remind myself because that is not my strong point. Right. I, the, the leadership thing it does, it comes naturally to me. The management piece of it, you know, although, you know, when I spoke to Ron Moore a couple of weeks ago, he, he said, you're both, but you don't recognize it, right? When you talked about that candor, that's management, right? When you have to tell people things they don't want to hear, that's management because it's also leadership. Right. So I would agree with that. Combination of those things. So I think that I, I think that I have to work much harder at being in a, a good manager than I do at being a, a reasonably good leader. I think that I think that there's a difference between the two, and I think that if you can recognize what you're good at, and 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 the same with people, if you can recognize in people what they're good at, and then inspire them to be better at those things that they're already passionate and good at, then you're going to get somebody who's an outstanding performer. Whereas if you focus on some skill that they're just mediocre at and they're not very passionate about, what's the point? And, and let's be honest, if you're running your own business and you last more than a couple of years, you have to be both. You have to be. Well, I guess we're, I'm, I'm okay then. Cause this is, we're going on 10 now. So I'm, I'm I should be all right. <laughs> So, David, looking back, you've been doing in this business for, for quite a while now. What would you say is your greatest accomplishment? What is, what's the thing you're most proud of? I, 
I don't think that I'm personally proud of really anything that is so, you know, like I can't say, oh, I'm so proud of this one thing because it's not me. You know, I'm proud of our company. I'm proud of the team and I'm proud of the things that our team has accomplished. Um, but, you know, it, it's a team effort. It's not one person, you know. So, like, am I proud of one thing? I'm proud of Airbus Instruments and Vibrolaser and the fact that we have completely revolutionized the market in terms of the products that we've brought to market over the past three years. Over the past three years, we have said, you know what? We're going to flip the market upside down. We're going to create uh, software agnostic hardware. So the hardware that we create can work with any software platform. The, the, it's multi-operating system, Windows, iOS, Android, web, it doesn't matter. And, and, and the architecture of our systems are open so that we don't, we don't encrypt the data in terms of like the customer's data. It's the customer's data. It's your data. You bought my product and the data that my product has collected and helped you improve your business with is your data. So why would I lock it up and not allow you to use it? There you go. So, so I, I guess that I'm most proud of that type of cultural innovation and cultural passion that we've created within the company because everybody has that same feeling. You know, the goal is to create products that make our customers' lives easier at a lower cost than what has ever been traditionally possible. All right. Well, David, it's been fantastic catching up with you, uh, especially in this time of COVID. You know, by now we probably would have run into one another somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah. All kind of uh, isolated, whether it's, uh, you know, you're having to go to your own business. But it's, it's not like we're out there traveling and, and, and the world of conferences and stuff like that anymore. So it's been no. good catching up with you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it, it's strange, you know, we're both in the same state, but it feels like we're a world away because of COVID. Yeah. All so. right. So this has been Doug Pucknett and the Reliability Connection. Have a great day. Bye.